May let us pray. May Lord, we thank you this morning for the worship service so far. We thank you, Lord, for the grace of another Lord's Day, the grace of the saints gathering together on the first day of the week, not just here at our church, but around the world. The church is gathered on the Lord's Day to worship our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, we gather to give unto you glory and strength, to give unto you the glory due your name, to worship you, Lord, in the beauty of holiness, because, Lord, you are the sovereign God. Lord, I was thinking over this past weekend about your sovereignty, about your ultimate rule over all things. And Lord, for us as your creatures, as your creation, you are sovereign over our birth. You are sovereign over our life. And Lord, you're sovereign over our death. As I was reading, we we're reading through the book of Matthew, reading about the, the birth of Christ, our Savior. And how not too long after he was born that Joseph and Mary had to take him down to Egypt to avoid a Herod's tyranny and killing all the firstborn because he was trying to kill our Savior. But Lord, you were providential in that in sending uh, him and his family down to Egypt until Herod had died. And Lord, that let me know that you are sovereign over where we were born under the circumstances in which we were born. Lord, you were sovereign over the parents that were chosen to give us birth. Lord, you were sovereign over the location of our birth, the, the, the hospital, the city, the street. Lord, you are in control of our life from birth to death. And Lord, you can, you're sovereign over our life. All the events that happen in our life, you are sovereign over. That is, there's nothing that happens in our life that you don't know about, that you haven't ordained. Lord, there's nothing that happens in our life that is out of your view. Nothing in our life, Lord, catches you by surprise. But Lord, you're sovereign over it all. You, the, the good and the bad that befalls us, Lord, you are still sovereign over it. And Lord, as we think about this, we should look to you as our sovereign God as we go through life. We should look to you, Lord, knowing that you are ultimately in control of everything that happens to us, everything that happens in us, everything that happens with us. Lord, you rejoice over us as your creation and particularly over those who are yours. Lord, the delight of the believer is the delight that you have over us. Lord, your word says in Jeremiah 32 and 41 that you will rejoice over them that do good, those who are your people. Lord, you take pleasure in us. We can't delight in ourselves, Lord, because we often groan. We're often burdened with, with life. Lord, we're conscious of our own sinfulness. And Lord, we know that despite these things, you still delight in us. But not because of anything that is in us, Lord. 
you delight in us because of Jesus Christ, because of the work that he did on the cross in saving us and redeeming us and reconciling us to you. Lord, we thank you that you rejoice over us despite ourselves. And Lord, we thank you also that you have mercy upon us every single day that we wake up. Your mercies are renewed daily. And Lord, we thank you for that. That we don't deserve your mercy. We don't deserve your grace. But Father, you still wake us up. You still allow us to see another day. You still allow us, Lord, to go out and to be productive. And Lord, we thank you that we are accepted by Christ despite our sins. Lord, this is such a gracious and precious truth that we as believers need to hold on to. And Lord, we also uh, pray for uh, Haley and Jera, uh, who moved down to Enterprise also with their mother and father, Lord. I pray that your grace may be with them. I pray, Lord, that the seeds of the gospel that have been sown in this ministry over the last 10 or so years that they've been with us, Lord, that the gospel may bear fruit in their lives, that it may bring them to a saving faith in you. And Lord, that you may protect them and be with them as they are in a new uh, city with uh, new people, new neighbors, new peers. Lord, that you may be with them while they're down there. And Lord, let them know that we do miss them and that we love them. And that we care deeply for them, Lord. I pray that your gracious be with them as they're down in Enterprise, Alabama. But Lord, we thank you for those who are here this morning. I pray that your grace be with, be with all of us. All of our families here represented and those who are not here this morning. I pray, Lord, that we use the ordinary means of grace that you've given us to grow. Prayer, scripture reading, fellowshipping with the saints, confession of our sins that we continue to do those things, Lord, that we may grow in you and grow to know you, that we may continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for all of our like-minded churches in our area, for all the men that are leading those churches, that you be with them also uh, this morning. We pray for Brother Steve Mays and um, Brother Josh Henderson, we pray for him, Lord. We pray for Brother Curly down in Lionville. We pray for uh, Carlton and and Bob and Phil and Brother Anthony, uh, Brother Justin Holland. We pray also, Lord, for Josephus and Gobbler over in Liberia and Brother Sylvester over in Zimbabwe. Lord, be with all of us this morning as we labor in the gospel, as we labor to shepherd the church of God. May our labor not be in vain in you, Lord, and may you bless all of the members of all of our churches that we may all grow through the ministry of our pastors. And may our pastors, Lord, all of us continue to be faithful in pastoral work and pastoral ministry and being faithful in rightly dividing the word of truth and faithful in rightly shepherding your people. And Lord, I pray as we come now before you, as one 
with all of our weaknesses and failings and needs. Lord, we know that we need you. We need the grace that has come to us through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We need to hear your gospel afresh this morning, Lord. We need the washing and renewal of the Holy Spirit through the word. Lord, we need your illumination of your truth because our eyes are often dull and, and dark and our lives are often distracted from the things of God. Lord, we struggle and we ask now that you would teach us by your spirit through your word. We ask that you would move us, that you would bring to light the greatness of who you are, our neediness, and that you would stir up faith that we might look to you and you alone. I pray, Father, that you would remove from us pride and any thought that would hinder the reception of your word as it is in truth in the word of God. I ask, Lord, that in all of us now, as your people, that we will receive your word with hunger and thirst and gratefulness. So, Lord, feed us through the word of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. 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 We're continuing in Ephesians this morning. We're still in the sixth chapter. We looked at the beginning of this section on the armor of God. And this morning we want to look at verses 14 down through verse 17 as we look at the whole armor of God itself. We talked last week about the principalities and the rulers and the spiritual darkness that we face in our world as Christians. And that those who are of the world are not facing those because they are part of those principalities and those powers. They are being used and energized by our adversary, uh, uh, Satan. We made sure that we defined terms we define uh, the word devil, the word Satan, and who they are and, and, and the role that they play in uh, the spiritual darkness of this world. So this morning we're going to look at the actual armor of God. Our focus is going to be both verses 14 through 17. We're going to start back just for context at verse 10 just to read this section again. So this is Ephesians 6 beginning at verse 10. Again, our focus will be verses 14 through 17. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole arm of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places therefore take up the whole arm of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day excuse me and having done all to stand stand therefore having girded your waist with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery dots of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Amen. So we looked last week again at 
the call to be strong in the Lord, to walk in the strength of the Lord. That's what we talked about last week and how that looks and why Paul said that. He told us to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to to stand. And the Christian in living in this world, we are called to stand, but we don't stand in a defenseless position. We stand in a position of offense. And there are weapons that God has given to every believer. So as we look at this armor this morning, we look at it knowing that God has equipped all of his people with this armor. This this armor is not uh, for a certain level of so-called super saints or super Christians, as some would have it. So Paul here tells us to stand therefore. And this reiterates what he said, as we read in the verse before, in verse 13, take up the whole arm of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And as Christians, we are called to stand and we stand firm. We stand on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So he begins this section here by saying, stand therefore. And this is the third time that he says stand because he said it in verse 11 and verse 13, as we just saw. He's called us to take a firm position in the spiritual battle. Okay, against Satan and his minions, his workers. We talked all the time in our church about the need to not compromise the gospel, the need to not compromise biblical truth, because once you compromise one time, the whole house falls apart. We looked at how some denominations become apostate because they compromise on certain biblical principles. They compromise on the sufficiency of scripture that the scripture alone is sufficient for the Christian and they start bringing in worldly philosophies and worldly ideologies and once you lose scripture as being sufficient guess what all bets are off because you have no foundation to stand on that's what we talk about with having a a Christian worldview if you don't have a biblical worldview then guess what all bets are off men can marry men and women can marry women and and women can kill their babies in the womb and and people can believe that a man can become a woman or a woman can become a man. If, if you lose that, that foundation, that biblical truth, that there are distinctions in creation that, that God himself established, once you start believing in it, guess what? You can believe anything because you have no foundation. So as Christians, we are called to stand on a solid biblical foundation against Satan and his minions and his ideologies and the philosophies of this world, which are all satanic because they don't come from God. So when we're confronting Satan and his efforts to distrust God, to not obey God, to compromise on a doctrinal uh, principles and get into false teachings, guess what? We're going to be giving into those things. So Paul here says, stand and that is the nature of the Christian life we are called to stand firm and this has a picture of an infantryman standing his post standing at attention that's what it reminds me of 
an infantryman with all of his gear on, including his weapon, and he's standing at attention. I don't know, uh, probably y'all never been to Buckingham Palace before. Uh, our high school went to, our high school band went to London back in 1986, and, you know, we had a chance to, you know, do all the tour and everything. And in front of Buckingham Palace, you've probably seen the guards. They're standing there, the, the tall plume hats with the red garb on, they're standing at attention. They cannot flinch when they're standing there. They're, they're trained to not do that. You know, you got people doing all this in front of their face and everything, blah, blah, blah. Stupid Americans are mostly doing that. <laughs> but they stand at attention. They cannot move. They're standing guard. They take their job and their position seriously because they're standing there guarding the palace. They're guarding the queen and her consort who live in that residence. But they're standing firm. And as Christians, we're called to stand firm like a soldier on duty at attention. But we don't just stand for standing sake. Paul says we stand with the armor that God has given us. And we can only stand when we are equipped with the arm of God that he has given us in Christ Jesus. Again, we can't stand defenseless. We stand with the proper equipment. Now, each aspect of this armor deals with a specific dynamic within the Christian life that enables us to stand against spiritual attack. So the first thing that Paul says here is we have to stand having our waist girded with truth. Or having girded your waist with truth. Truth is symbolically represented as a belt. The belt does two things. It protects our abdomen and it gathers up our uh, garment so that we can fight uh, effectively. So first we stand in what? Truth. The foundation of the Christian life is truth. Remember that. The foundation of our Christian life is truth. But whose truth? There's only one truth. And that's God's truth. That is the foundation of the Christian life. As I said before. When we stand firmly on God's truth. Guess what? We won't be moved. We won't sway. We won't falter. We won't go to the right or to the left. We won't be tossed to and fro, as Paul said in uh, Ephesians 4, by every wind of doctrine. The foundation of the Christian life is truth. That armor is truth. And this truth again reveals to the revealed truth, the gospel truth along with the doctrines of the truth that we find in scripture that is the truth that we as believers stand on do we believe the truth of God and are we willing to stand on that truth no matter what no matter what comes our way no matter what Satan and his minions try to confuse us with we live in a very confused culture a lot of people are genuinely confused. But a lot of people are also rebellious. And they're rebelling against God. They're rebelling against God's truth. Think about what Romans 1 tells us. 
What do people do? God has revealed himself to all mankind. No one can say that God doesn't exist because Scripture testifies in Romans 1 that all know that God exists. It has been revealed in the things that are seen and the things that are unseen. But what does Paul say that fallen man does? He suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. So everyone knows the truth. Everyone knows what is right. Everyone knows God's law because the Bible tells us that God's law is written on our hearts. Everyone knows right from wrong. Everyone knows what is true. We talk about this with babies. You have to teach babies what? What's true. Why? Because in their nature, all of us are born in sin. We're, we're born with the mark of Adam. You, you don't have to teach a child to, to lie or to steal. You have to teach them not to steal. Why? Because they're born rebels. They're born rebellious. They're born in sin and shaping in iniquity. But what do people do? They know God's truth. That's why when people are caught, they look ashamed. When you catch a child doing something wrong, they know it. You see it on their face. They know that they're caught. But their sinful nature tells them to do what? To lie. But they know that they are wrong. Why? Because God has put that in their hearts. He's put it in all of our hearts. So people, as Paul said in Romans 1, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They, they have to work with all the mental fortitude they have to suppress God's truth, to suppress the reality of God. But as Christians, we're not called to suppress the truth. We are called to stand on the truth. So this belt, putting on the belt, prepares the soldier for action. When the soldier took his belt off, he was... He was relaxing. When he sat down and relaxed, they took off their belt. But when they're time for action, guess what they do? They put their belt back on, and that's what we do. We're always prepared with the truth to stand against Satan and his schemes. Now, what are some truths that we can stand in as believers? These are some things just for us to think about. When Satan, you know, we talked about uh, the word devil means accuser. Okay, and it comes from uh, Revelation 12 where uh, Satan or the devil is described as the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us day and night before God. But what is the truth for Christians? We are in Christ. We have been justified. We have been declared righteous. We have the righteousness of Christ imputed to us or put on us when God sees us he doesn't see our sin he sees the righteousness of his son Jesus Christ that has been given to all believers that's the truth another truth is that as Christians we're not condemned and, and I say this all the time many people confuse conviction with condemnation as Christians, guess what? We're not condemned. Paul says in Romans 8 and 1 that there's therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ how? By grace through faith. Those who are in Christ. 
Because remember, condemnation is judicial. It is, it is a judgment. But Christians are not condemned by God. We're convicted because of sin by the Holy Spirit, but we're not condemned. Condemnation is a sentence to judgment. But we're not condemned. Why? Because we've been justified. We've been declared righteous by the righteousness of Christ. Why would God condemn those who are righteous? We're not condemned. If you feel condemned, as I always say about your feelings, you can't trust your feelings. Your feelings deceive you. When we sin, we feel conviction. We don't feel condemnation. The Holy Spirit convicts us, and that conviction leads us to what? Confession and repentance. Condemnation belongs to those who are not in Christ. God condemns the sinner. The sinner is already condemned. Who was condemned for us? Christ. He took our punishment. He took the guilt of sin upon himself. He took the condemnation of sin upon himself. He took the curse of sin upon himself on the cross. So why would God condemn us when his son was condemned for us? That's a truth that we must stand on because Satan tries to tell you the lie that you're not in Christ, that you're not loved by God, that you're not one of his. Jesus said in John 8 and 44, people remember this, Satan is a liar. He is a liar and the what? Father of lies. The believer whose life is controlled by the truth will defeat Satan. So we stand on this truth. We are victorious in Christ. We can face the enemy without fear because we stand on God's truth and we know who we are in Christ. That's why we've been preaching through the book of Ephesians, looking at our identity, who we are in Christ. And as we know who we are in Christ, because of what God's word says about us, guess what? We can face our enemies without fear. We have to practice the truth. Well, we don't practice it. We can't use it. We have to read the truth. If we don't read the truth, we won't know what truth is. And we can easily be deceived. Remember, the Bible is the very word of God. And the very word of God contains God's truth. Once a lie gets into the life of a believer, everything begins to fall apart. Once we believe the lies of Satan... Everything begins to fall apart. Think about King David. David died, I mean lied about his sin uh, with Bathsheba for a year. Until the prophet, God sent the prophet Nathan to him. And Nathan told him that parable. And then Nathan told David what should have happened to that man in the parable that took all that, uh, that the other man had. And Nathan told David, well, you are that man. And at that moment, that, 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 that conviction of sin uh, over a year overtook David. And because of that, we have Psalm 51 and we have Psalm 32. David said in Psalm 32 that when he didn't confess his sins, that his bones ached within him. Why? Because he lied for a year. 
when the Christian begins to believe those lies and take on those lies, everything falls apart. Standing on God's truth is always much better because when you compromise, everything begins to fall apart. When churches compromise, guess what? They fall apart. They may still exist. They may still go to church. They may still fellowship, but they don't have a firm foundation on which to stand. Why? Because they believe the lies of Satan. So that's why we stand on the truth. Amen. And then next he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, righteousness is, is represented as a breastplate. This ac actually harkens back to uh, the Old Testament. Isaiah 59 and 17 says he put on righteousness as a breastplate. It was speaking of Christ. That was a prophecy about Jesus Christ. So Paul here is mentioning the most important protective piece of armor. Why? Because the breastplate, it, it covered the chest, it covered the sides, and it covered the back. So it covered the center mass where your heart and lungs and all your vital organs are. And for most soldiers, it was a thick piece of, of leather fashioned to cover up the uh, upper or torso. But for those who were rich, it was made of bronze. And it was very long. In the Old Testament, it was called a coat of mail. That's what it was called in the Old Testament. It was basically layered coats to cover the breast from arrows. And, you know, they didn't have guns and muskets and stuff back then uh, to fight. They had mostly daggers. So the breastplate would basically fit over the head and be hinged at the sides with, with leather uh, straps. But righteousness as protection means that we are protected by righteous living received by faith in Jesus Christ. So when we're putting on the breastplate of righteousness, it's not our earned righteousness. It's not a feeling of righteousness, but rather it's being protected by the righteousness received from faith in Jesus Christ. Remember, we just talked about that. We have the imputed righteousness of Christ. So because we have the righteousness of Christ given to us, guess what? We can have confidence as we face our enemies because we know as believers that no one can take our righteous standing before God away from us. No devil in hell. No person on this earth, no matter what they try to do to come up against us, they cannot take away our righteous standing in Christ because it is secured by Christ. Guess what? If it was our righteousness, then yes, it can't be taken away because we're moral, because we are sinners and we can't protect our own selves like that. If we earn our righteousness, then guess what? We can lose it. But because Christ has earned our righteousness for us, guess what? No enemy can take it away from us. No force of evil can take it away from us. No, no principality, no power, no rule of darkness can take away the righteousness that we have in Christ. No one or nothing can take away who we are in Christ. No one can take away the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. They can take away all of our material things. 
But ultimately, as Paul, as uh, Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, at the end of the day, those material things do not matter. Because all of it is vanity. But friends, no one can take away the righteousness that we have in Christ. And that gives us confidence. As we go out into this world. It gives us an awareness of our standing and our position in Christ. And that's the standing that matters the most. Not how we stand and not how we look before people. That doesn't matter. Why? Because people are fake. People are fickled. People are phony. It's the righteousness that we have in Christ. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. And we have a righteous life in Christ. Remember, Satan is the accuser. But he cannot accuse the believer who's living a godly life in the power of the spirit. He cannot accuse a believer who knows his standing before God as the righteousness of Christ. He can't accuse us. The life, the righteous life that we live as believers fortifies us against Satan's attacks. Again, righteous doesn't mean we're going to live a perfect life. But a person who is living righteous because of the righteousness that we have in Christ, guess what we do? We confess our sins. We repent of our sins. We don't live in sin. We pursue righteousness and holiness. We pursue uh, the pleasing of God in everything that we do. We, we pursue doing everything to the glory of God. So when Satan accuses the Christian, it is the righteousness of Christ that assures us as believers of our salvation. We're positionally righteous in Christ. And with that positional righteousness, we have a practical righteousness that we live out. Paul told us, the word of God tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is him, it is God who works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure as God works his salvation in us guess what we work it out by living that righteous life as we have the righteousness of Christ on us as we have that breastplate of righteousness on us guess what we live that righteous life we live that life of integrity we live that life as a gospel witness we live that life in spite of what Satan throws at us in spite of those darts that come our way. So this breastplate is a very important piece of the armor. We must stand on the righteousness of Christ. Martin Lord Jones uh, said this. He says, we're sometimes tempted to say to the devil, look at all I've done for the Lord. But that is shaky ground, though sometimes it feels good. It is shaky because feelings and experiences change quickly. God's righteousness isn't shaky. The breastplate of righteousness is your best defense against the sense of spiritual depression and gloom that comes against us. 
So this breastplate of righteousness is something that comes from God. It's not something that we manufacture ourselves. Remember, when we try to live in our own strength, I, I, I talked about this last week, we're going to fail because we're not meant to live that way. We're meant to live according to the strength of the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We can't stand against our enemies in our own power. We've all tried. I've tried before. It just doesn't work. We'll falter and fail and we end up driving ourselves crazy, right? Amen. Next, he tells us to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Having feet shod, rather having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, Roman soldiers, I, I, I did some research on this. Roman soldiers were very superior to all the other empires around them because their soldiers, this is, remember, we're talking about first century here. You know, 2,000 years ago, they don't have the sophisticated things that we have now. But Roman soldiers, they wore boots with nails in them to grip the ground in combat. And so that they can trot faster. You know, they have nice paved roads and sidewalks and all that stuff like we had now. They had dirt and rocks. They didn't even have chert, okay, and gravel roads. No, they had dirt and rocks, sand. So they wore boots with nails in them to grip the ground in combat. So when he's talking about the feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace, first of all, he talks about the word preparation. Preparation is a, a word meaning a prepared foundation. The gospel provides footing for everything that we do. The gospel, again, provides the footing for everything that we do. We have to have that good grip of the gospel. We have to have a good hold of the gospel. Paul probably had Isaiah 52 and 7 in mind, which says, How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. As we prepare for spiritual battle against Satan, that is what we have to have in mind. The gospel of peace, the gospel of the good news, the gospel of glad tidings. While there's doom and gloom going on in, the, in our world, guess what? We have a message of what? Hope that our God reigns, that Jesus saves, that the only hope and the only remedy for your soul is salvation through Jesus Christ. The only hope for the misery that unbelievers inevitably experience is the gospel of peace that comes through salvation in Jesus Christ. While the principalities and the powers and the, the rulers of darkness are, are having their way in this world, guess what? We are shod with the gospel of peace. We have our feet firmly planted in that gospel and we're able to spread that message to others. That there is hope in this world. That there is 
good news. You hear people say, oh, the world is going bad. You know, they're warring over there in Israel and all this stuff going on. It is tragic. But guess what, Christian? We have the message of hope. We have the gospel. We proclaim that peace. We bring the good news. We say to the world, our God reigns. Our God rules. He came to save the lost. That's the message that we have. And that's the message of Christians that we are to spread to this world. Because guess what? That's the only remedy. Remember, the only malady, the only solution, the only remedy for man's sin is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not drugs. It's not sex. It's not money. It's not wealth. It's not material things. Those things would never, ever, ever, ever satisfy the sinner's soul or our soul. Never. I was reading a story. Uh, I saved it on my phone. Uh, you all may not know who Patrick Stewart is. He's an actor, but he played Dr. Spock on the Star Wars series. He's like 83 years old now. And I read a very sad article about, about uh, him. Uh, this past week, I shared it with some, some of my coworkers. He said, this is one of the things that he said that, that really kind of hurt my heart for him. He said he doesn't have a good relationship with his children. He said that he put his career before his children, and now he regrets it. That he doesn't have a good relationship with his children. That they won't talk to him, they don't talk to him. He says now he has to start over with his grandchildren, but he still wants to have that relationship. Here's Patrick Stewart, wonder. Not Doctor, he didn't play Doctor Spock in, in Star Wars, but he, he was in the Star Wars series. Uh, but here's Patrick Stewart, a famous actor, very wealthy, 83 years old, getting to the end of his life. But he sold his soul for acting at the expense of his family. Guess what? He needs to hear the good news of the gospel. That all that wealth you have was never meant to satiate your soul. Chasing after money, chasing after acting gigs was not it. But that's what a lot of people do. It may not even be an actor. It could be any type of job, any type of career, any type of ambition that a person may have. How many people have sacrificed their family, sacrificed their children on the altar of success, sacrificed their church ministry on the altar of success? Sacrifice relationships with their spouses or relationships with family members or relationships with co-workers on the altar of success. And then they get later in life. They get to their 60s and 70s and 80s. They believe all the lies of the world that all those things will satisfy you. Come to find out. That longing for God is still there. He who can ultimately satisfy you is still there. You come to him, you repent, and be saved. You turn to your Savior. He is gracious. He is mighty to save.
That's the gospel of peace that we have as believers as we deal with all these principalities and powers. That is the message that people need to hear. These things are not going to satisfy you. They're going to destroy you. Don't believe the lies. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. No. Don't believe those lies. We have the gospel of peace. We have the gospel message of peace. Peace. We have the good news that sinners need to hear. They may not want to hear it. They're not going to like to hear it. But guess what? They can never say that you never told them. They can never say, I didn't know. They can never say, oh, you didn't try to tell me this. Why didn't you tell me this before? Why didn't you tell me this 10 years ago when I was living like this? And you could be able to say, I did tell you. But it's still not too late for you. You can still come to Christ while you still have breath in your body. You never know what's going to happen to your mental faculties. I think about this all the time. I was thinking about this this past week. We have this saying in our culture. You know, you hear about a person dying in their sleep. And some people say, oh, that's a good way to go. When I thought about it, I was like, no, it's not. Nobody goes to bed thinking they're going to die. I mean, think about that. Oh I, oh, I would love to just go peacefully in my sleep. Nobody, look, people. It sounds good, but it's actually stupid. Nobody goes to bed thinking that they're going to die. We all have plans. Not, not necessarily just for the next day. He's, oh, I would love to go. But the thing is, if you go in your sleep and you're not in Christ. If you go in your sleep, but you haven't believed and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can go in your sleep all you want to. There's going to be a worse judgment that awaits you. That's why I say it. The worldly ideologies are so stupid and so foolish when you follow them to their logical end. We have the gospel of peace to spread to this world and we are to equip ourselves with that. Amen. Next, we take above all the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now the shield was usually, I've seen pictures of the Roman shield before. They were almost as big as a door. They covered like the whole body. They were usually about four feet by four by two shield. That's pretty nice size. It's about this tall. Some of them were almost as tall as, as doors. You know, they didn't have a really, really lot of tall. They didn't have like, you know, we have regulation seven-foot doors and all this stuff. They didn't have all those regulations back then. Most doors were, were not as tall because men were not as tall back, uh, back then. But these shields were about four by two. One word describes them as uh, they were made of wood and they were covered with tough leather. He says that the, the soldier held it before him. It protected him from spears, arrows, and fiery darts. Because that's what they fought with back then. So above all means, it don't mean this is the most 
important one. It means in addition to, excuse me, the previous three things. Take the shield of faith. We have to take it up. And what is faith? It's not just faith for faith's sake. It is faith in something. Remember, we talk about this all the time here. Faith has an object. Faith is not just some arbitrary thought or, or some arbitrary philosophy or some arbitrary uh, ideology. Faith in itself has to have an object. You have to have faith in something or in someone. But the faith mentioned here is not, is not saving faith, but it is living faith. It is a trust in the promises of of God it is trust in the promises of God that protects us from Satan's fiery darts it is a defensive weapon that protects us from the fiery darts of Satan now in, in Paul's day arrows would dip sometimes in inflammable substances and they they, they, they fired them to, to try to burn the shields and different things like that that's why he said the fiery darts but the fiery darts of Satan can be blasphemous thoughts, lies, hateful thoughts about others, doubts, burning desires uh, for sin, murderous thoughts, you know, thinking evil of other people. Those are some of the fiery darts that Satan may try to throw our way. the fiery darts and there are many others that Satan tries to throw our way so we have to protect ourselves we have to arm ourselves with the faith that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ again it goes back to knowing who we are in Christ knowing what we have in Christ knowing that those things cannot be taken away from us no matter what Satan tries to shoot our way these things cannot be taken from us no matter what may come Christian the devil can't take it away from us that faith that we have in Christ against all those darts these flaming darts can burn. They can sear us. But guess what? We got that shield of faith, our faith in Christ. When Satan accuses us again, we have our faith in Christ to stand on. Satan accuses us of our sin. He accuses us of our unworthiness to belong in the kingdom of God. But guess what? We have the shield of faith. We have faith in the living God. We have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have faith in the sovereign God. And guess what? We know that God is for us, just as we was reading earlier. We know that he is for us. Satan cannot shake us off of our faith in Christ, people. We got that shield. It protects us. And guess what? His dots are very fiery. And they come like pew, 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 like you see in movies. 
They're coming, but we got this shield of faith. We got faith in the promises of God. Guess what? That God will be with us. That God will protect us. Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my help, I will not fear. What can man do unto me? That's uh, Hebrews 11, 5, and 6. God is always with us. Guess what? We don't have to fear Satan's darts. We don't have to fear that God is going to abandon us. Because our faith in Christ is secured by Christ. It's not secured by us. And we thank the Lord for that. That he quenches those darts. And then the last one we're going to deal with today. Is the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Salvation. The helmet was usually back then it was like a leather cap. And it was studded with, uh, with, with metal. It wasn't like the football helmets like we have now. <laughs> and they sometimes had like a plume on it or something like that. I've seen pictures of ancient soldiers. They were, they, they were dressed pretty sharp. But their armor was very heavy. So those soldiers had to be very, very strong. But salvation here is, is like a, a helmet. And it's protecting the an essential part of our body, which is our what? Our head, our our brain. So a soldier would be foolish to go into battle without a helmet. Now, First Thessalonians 5 and 8 talks about the helmet of salvation in connection with the hope of salvation. The helmet of salvation protects us against discouragement. It protects us against the desire to give up living the Christian life. It gives us hope, not in only knowing that we are saved, but that we will be saved. It is an assurance that we have that God will triumph. Don't you know, friends, that he who saves us is he who will keep us? God didn't only just save us and say, okay, you're out there on your own now. Go and fend for yourself. No, what does he do? He keeps us. And he will carry us on to the end. Because the salvation is not ours to begin with. It comes from God. Paul talked about that in Ephesians 2. We're saved by what? Grace through faith. It is the gift of God. It is not of ourselves. Lest anyone should boast. It is God who saved us. It is God who took us from darkness to light. Remember Ephesians 2 and 1. We were dead in trespasses and sins. But God who is rich in mercy. He raised us up from the dead. And placed us in the heavenly places in Christ. We didn't raise ourselves up. We didn't give ourselves spiritual life. It was God who did. It was God who raised us up. It was God who saved us by his grace. It was God who gave us the faith to believe. By grace through faith in Christ. And because God saved us. Because of his grace. Because it is his salvation. That we have. Guess what? God is going to see us to the end. So we have nothing to fear. As Christians. We don't have to worry about losing our salvation. Because it is God who saves us. First Peter tells us that we are kept by the power of God. Jesus said himself that he will lose none of those 
whom the father has given to him. He said that in John the sixth chapter. He said about his sheep in John 10 that no one can pluck us out of his hand. Thank you, Jesus. We are assured by that. No one can pluck us out of his hand. We can't even jump out because we're held secure. Like the old hymn, Safe in the Arms of Jesus. So that help and salvation gives us that assurance that we are saved. That assurance that we are Christ. No matter what goes on in this world. No matter what comes our way. No matter what enemies may say. No matter what forces rise up against us. We have our salvation in Christ and we're not going to lose it. There was a time when I was a young Christian because I wasn't taught right. I was so worried about losing my salvation. That's a terrible and miserable existence because you're always living in fear. I can't lose it because it wasn't mine from the beginning. It was God who saved me. I did not save myself. And because I didn't save myself, I can't keep myself. We're not saved by works. We're saved to do good works. But we're not saved by works or because of works. Christianity is not a works-based religion. We're saved to do good works. And Paul says that in Ephesians 2 and 10. We're created in God for good works. After he said we're saved by grace through faith. So that salvation that we have, that helmet of salvation, it assures us to not give up, to give us hope that we are saved, and to give us hope that we will be saved in the future. And we will continue to be saved. Why? Because one of Satan's greatest weapons is discouragement. You know how many Christians face discouragement? Satan wants us discouraged. He wants to discourage us. He wants us to doubt our salvation. He wants us to doubt God's goodness. That's what he wants. But we have the help and salvation. We have the assurance. Just like we have the assurance of forgiveness that we do every Sunday. The assurance, Christians need assurance that our sins have been forgiven. We need that constant reminder of assurance that God has saved us and God will see us to the end. That God loses none who are his. That's the helm of salvation. Being equipped with that helps us in fighting the discouragement that inevitably comes in this Christian life because we will face discouragement. When God controls our mind, Satan cannot lead the believer astray. Remember that. When God controls our mind, when we have the heaven of salvation on and we know that we are God's, we know that we cannot be led astray by discouragement because that's what discouragement does. It leads, it leads people astray. 
Amen. And then lastly, the sword of the spirit. This is the offensive weapon. This is the only offensive weapon that is in this armor. And that's the sword. No, sword was actually like a short dagger. The sword of the spirit. The spirit provides the sword for us. And this sword is the word of God. It is a sword. And the sword again is an offensive weapon. The sword of the spirit is a, uh, something that we depend on. But we have to know how to use the word of God. If you've been reading through Matthew with us, which I hope you have. Uh, yesterday was uh, Matthew, the fourth chapter. What happened to Matthew four? Jesus was taken into the wilderness by the spirit to be tempted. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And guess what that happened on the heels of in chapter three? He was baptized. In chapter three, Jesus was baptized by John. You know, the spirit uh, God appeared in heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Very next chapter. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights and was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Right on the hills of being baptized. Think about that. He had the height of baptism, the, the height of the spirit's affirmation of Christ. To being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And Satan approached him three times. Each time, how did Jesus rebuke Satan? By saying what? It is written. The sword of the spirit. He said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That is the sword of the spirit that we are to wield against our enemy when he tries to tempt us when all these ideologies when all these philosophies of the world try to come upon us when people try to push them on us we rebuke them with the word of God with the truth of God's word the sword of the spirit we have to use it effectively and that's what Jesus did you think about somebody who's practicing those sword thrusts and everything. That's what we must do as Christians. We, we prepare ourselves for using the word of God by reading the word of God, by studying the word of God. Hebrews 4 and 12 compares the word of God to a sword, a double-edged sword. The word is quick, powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. Because it's able to pierce the inner man. Just like a material sword can. The word of God is described as cutting people to the heart. After Peter's uh, first sermon in uh, Acts the second chapter. Acts, I think it's Acts 2 and 37. Said that the people were cut to the heart. That means they were convicted because of the word of God being preached. You know sometimes the word of God convicts you. Now the the. the the cutting of the word is not a, a harming cut. It is a healing cut. It is a cut of conviction. I've sit and listened to sermons and I still do now sometimes. And that, that, that word just cuts me. And it convicts me. But it leads me to my knees. Lord forgive me. 
I still listen to sermons now on, on podcasts, and sometimes that word just <laughs> it cuts and it heals. But it is supposed to do that. But for the purposes of this message, this sword is something that cuts. It cuts up those ideologies. It cuts up those those evil philosophies. That's what the word does. Again, Jesus did the same thing. He used the sword of the spirit and defeated the enemy three times. He says, it is written. And you notice Satan couldn't quote the word of God. He tried to use the word of God. He quoted one script. He's quoted Psalm 91 wrong. About the angels uh, catching Jesus. If he tossed himself off the temple, he misquoted Psalm 91. But Satan tries to use the word of God to confuse us. That's why we, it's important that we must know the word of God. What did he tell Eve? You will not die. But what did God tell Adam and Eve? If you eat of this tree, the fruit of this tree, you're going to die. And what did Satan say? Uh, you're not going to die. That's not what he really meant. That's what he does to us. He tries to confuse us with the word of God. That's why we must know it for ourselves. Because you can take words out of context. You can leave out words. You can apply verses to Christians today that don't really apply to us. Many people take the Bible out of context. And we know that. That's why we preach expository preaching here at this church. We preach. We open up the Bible and let God speak through his word. I don't add anything of my opinion or what some dream or vision or whatever uh, uh, you know that I had I just open up the Bible and I preach the word of God and we preach through the word of God just like we do in our Wednesday night Bible studies we we go through these chapters we've been from Genesis 1 all the way down to we just finished Joshua two weeks ago we've been doing this for the last since 2018 19 and now we're going to be in the book of of Judges going chapter by chapter by chapter just letting the word of God unfold itself Every sermon I've preached pretty much has been through books of the Bible. Preached through uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, and, and, and preached through 1 Corinthians. And just the, the Gospel of John was the first book that I actually preached through at this church. I started back in, I think, 2012, and it took me two and a half years to get through John's Gospel because we, we went through it expositionally. Why? So that... We can see how that sword of the spirit, you know, I talk about all the time. If you preach through the Bible long enough, you'll touch issues. You'll touch every human problem because the Bible is sufficient enough to address all human sin problems. That's how you wield the sword of the spirit. You trust in the word of God as being all sufficient. The Bible is sufficient to meet every human need. It is sufficient to address every human sorrow. It is sufficient enough to address every human sin and show them the remedy. And the remedy is always redemption through salvation in Jesus Christ. That is how you rightly wield the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But if you don't read it, if you don't study it, 
If you don't know it, then guess what? You're going to be easily deceived by somebody who comes along with some verse out of context. Because I used to believe a lot of stuff from verses that were out of context at one time. I did for almost 20 years of my life as a Christian. I believe things just because people repeated them, just because it, it sounded good, because it had an organ behind it, or because it had some hooting and some hollering behind it. A lot of emotionalism. Now, I can't stand that type of preaching. If somebody's not opening that Bible and going through it, expositing the text, I don't want to hear it. I, I just, my ears just can't take it anymore. Because a lot of them are not rightly dividing the word. But how do we rightly use the sword of the spirit we use it as a weapon against the enemy of our soul when Satan comes to us with his lies as he did with Jesus when he tempted him Jesus fasted 40 days what did he say do eat eat this bread go to the top of this mountain look at all the kingdoms of the world you can have them you bow down to me you shall worship the Lord Thy God and him only shall you serve. First commandment. Throw yourself out this cliff and, you know, the angels of God will protect you. He went all these lies to Jesus and what did Jesus do? He confronted him with the word of God. It is written. That is how we do it as believers. So my encouragement as we close here. This armor again is for every Christian. Not for certain ones, not just for pastors or preachers or, or super saints. This is the equipment that God gives all of us as believers to war, protect ourselves against, and to war against the spiritual forces in our culture, in our world. And they will not overcome us, people. They can't overcome us. Because we are in Christ. We are saints. We are blessed in the beloved we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ that's Ephesians 1 and 8 we have all the blessings of God we have been raised from death to life we are saved by grace through faith we are one with Christ we serve one God one Lord one God and Father of all who is above all and in us all and through us all and we stand on those truths amen let us pray Father, we thank you that even after you save us, even after you have called us to yourself, that you don't leave us helpless and hopeless. You've given us an armor to protect ourselves and to defend ourselves. Lord, you gave us the belt of truth. You gave us your truth, the gospel truth. You gave us righteousness through salvation in Jesus Christ and we have his righteousness. You gave us the gospel of peace which is the good news of salvation. You gave us Lord the shield of faith. You gave us the faith necessary to stand firm against the accusations of Satan. Lord you gave us salvation. You saved us from our sins and not only will you save us Lord but you will continue to save us. You will keep us until the end we have nothing to fear and Lord you gave us the sword of the spirit the word of God to wield against the temptations of Satan 
against the ideologies that are uh, satanic, against the worldviews out there that are satanic. Lord, you gave us the word of God. But give us a continued holy desire for your word. Lord, as the sermon is preached, may you convict sinners and bring them to a saving faith in you. And Lord, may you also use this word to encourage the faithful to persevere in their faith. In Christ's name I pray, amen.